the Total Soccer Show and the very first of our World Cup 2022 shows. Yes, on this opening Sunday, we saw an opening ceremony with dismembered shirts, retro mascots, an 85-year-old <laughs> miming a speech. And in lieu of any socio-political commentary, Fox gave us a chat with Mr. Q, who sounds like the main character on 4chan, but that's a discussion for another day. And then oh, no. onto the opening game where Qatar proved their doubters Right, with a, disappoint- <laughs> a pretty disappointing display, and Enna Valencia put his name into the golden boot conversation. Who had that one in the mix? Not me. My name is Ryan Bailey, and for the first time ever, the awesome foursome of the Total Soccer Show are together in the same location, staring lovingly into each other's eyes in the Brooklyn, New York Airbnb. We have booked out for the World Cup. Taylor Rockwell, as I looked around the desk to look lovingly into everyone's mm. eyes. You didn't hold my gaze. I did not, because I was uh, checking your microphone levels. Hopefully they are good. I apologize for not meeting your gaze, but I will meet it now and make unbroken eye contact with you. I won't. It's weird. Uh, but I will say <laughs> that this is really exciting. It's nice to have everybody together. It's been a while since I recorded in a room with other humans. It feels less like we live in the future and more like yeah. we live with friends. Yeah, This is the most people I've been around for years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, Taylor, thank you for bringing, bringing us together here and also bringing all the snacks for our uh, intrepid journey here. For and the Iron Brew. And Iron Brew. And we have got to, got to. Brew. Who knew you could get that in these here United States or why they would want to sell it? Amazon. <laughs> Amazon knew. Okay. Okay. Ryan tried his first ever Iron Brew today. Impressions? Yeah, get, so uh, Joe Lowry's get, also here. Um, how you doing, Joe? I'm good. I did like the Iron Brew, unlike Ryan. I thought it tasted a lot like cream soda, which is not a bad thing at all, right? It was good. It was solid. Yeah, um, flat cream soda. It was a little flat. Cream. I don't know what I don't know what yeah. happened there, but Graham. you know what? We we make it work. Graham just made to sit here and take this. <laughs> I know. I know. Nothing has changed. <laughs> Everything has changed, but actually, nothing has changed. There have been so many food takes that have been thrown around today, which you would know about if you're on our Patreon. Um, yeah. There have been a lot of dissension, specifically about food, and Iron Brew is is sort of one of those things. Yes, and by the way, we do have a Patreon for this World Cup. Uh, you can sign up at Graham. Uh, patreon.com forward slash total soccer show there are three different tiers and um, the top tier actually the top two tiers will get you access to the tss discord it's weird in there it's a weird place <laughs> it's TSS, popping though it's popping. It is indeed <laughs> um, but it's, honestly it feels like there's qu- quite a good community in there so if you're up for some usmnt and general world cup chat then please subscribe to our patreon Definitely so. And also, we are doing a live show tonight as we record in Brooklyn. But next week, we're doing a watch party for Spain versus Germany in Park Life, Brooklyn, <laughs> New York. Graham, some details there. Yep. So a week today, November 27th, Park Life in Brooklyn is the TSS World Cup watch party. We're doing it for Spain versus Germany. Please come along. It will be a bit of a party. 15 bucks, a ticket plus booking fee. And yeah, a bit more informal, a bit of a drink, hopefully something to eat, a bit of a quiz as well some prizes should be fun it should be fun indeed uh, graham uh, thank you for joining us all the way from edinburgh by the way the second furthest journey of this tss uh, uh-huh. group here um you've been absolutely housing bowls of lucky charms since we got here <laughs> so if you manage to make this episode without eating another one that would be uh, a good achievement getting that american sugar out of your veins yeah. for a second i just need to keep my blood sugar high you know i, I didn't I, I didn't know i could count on the iron brew coming uh, from uh, taylor so you know i had to, I had to invest in a box of lucky charms for have that, you gone for honey nut cheerios next i see a new box has appeared on the shelf yeah it's yeah. a good pick it's a good second choice in the cereal draft <laughs> Oh, we're all having fun. Let's talk about the soccer, though. Why don't we talk about the opening ceremony the of this year World Cup? Uh, it's about to get a little bit less fun as we talk about the circumstances <laughs> oh, of this World Cup. Uh, the opening ceremony held at Albite Stadium, 
where uh, 28-year-old Nepalese migrant Sanjeev Raya died of heart failure working a 12-hour shift in 40-degree heat for $1 an hour. Mm. That brought the mood down, didn't it, a little bit? Uh, we had an interesting opening ceremony, bit. though. Um, Morgan Freeman Taylor, the choice to mime along to some pro-Qatari yeah. stuff. I, I mean, I know, like, sometimes you got to lip-sync when you're a live performer, like, moving <laughs> around, doing a lot of dance moves. I guess if you're, what, 85, is that what yeah. we landed on for well, Morgan Freeman? He did get down on his knees, though, so... I mean, he, he can move a little bit. I just wasn't ready for the lip-syncing to not be quite in sync and then occasionally be in sync. It did make it seem odd that we were hearing him talk while we were sometimes seeing him talk at the same time. That whole opening ceremony was fever dream. a little bit weird. I think for Joe and I, right, we, we don't really watch the opening ceremony usually, <laughs> yeah. so to watch with people who do was interesting because you all... You all were into it. Yeah, all of a sudden the TV was on, and Graham and Ryan are sitting there like a kid on Christmas. <laughs> yes, like, oh, exactly. it's the opening ceremony, and Taylor and I look at each other like, what is that, going that on That Infantino right Claus. Yeah, He's my favorite. <laughs> you, you tapped into it. A kid on Christmas is the exact vibe, because when you're going into a tournament, you're very excited by it. It's a bit different with these circumstances yeah. being this quite different tournament. But yeah, yeah I was sitting there, cross-legged, back straight, mm-hmm. waiting for the opening ceremony to start. And Joe, when Morgan Freeman's standing there saying, there is a common thread of hope, jubilation, and respect, did it not raise something within you <laughs> um, no no it did not it did not raise anything within me uh, I like the part where the inflatable striker uh, mascot from 94 World Cup came out oh, onto yeah. the, the mm-hmm. field uh, in this whole thing but yeah it's opening ceremonies just aren't my cup of tea and particularly for this competition it felt weird and a little toned so, up but I don't really expect anything else I so guess. it falls into like the Eurovision category of so bad it's entertaining <laughs> for me at opening ceremonies but I was very wary that Qatar were using my own nostalgia against me particularly mm-hmm. with the mascots that Joe's talking about yeah. so Futix the 1998 World Cup mascot like I'm pretty sure I had him on a t-shirt when I was a kid so I was delighted to see him again. Um, Footex? Footex? Footex, yeah. yeah. That's the, the, the cockerel. You know, the... He sounds like a conference. <laughs> I was going to say, Elon Musk's soccer uh, organization. Yeah. yeah, no, does, yeah. I, and there was that. There was like the, I think they did the different anthems. They did like a montage of that. There was definitely a bit, really big play on nostalgia, including, I, I guess, for Qatari football. They had the, yeah. the Emir playing out there in the desert. Yes, they had footage. We were, we were suspect of the veracity yeah. of the footage. Yes. But there was footage of apparently the Emir playing soccer back in 70s. Yeah. Or 80s, and we may or may not still be a little bit suspect. Yeah, particularly. It, it was a bit like the succession intro. We were like, <laughs> it was. That's that, exactly yeah. what it felt that like. Was filmed <laughs> two years ago. Yes. <laughs> Logan Roy was out there. Logan Roy probably would have been out there kicking around with the Amir. Now that yeah. I think about it, so yeah, yeah, that does make sense. But it was, it was really strange because I feel like Ryan, and forgive me for preempting this, but so much of that felt like even Morgan Freeman a little bit seemed like to be like saying through gritted teeth, "We're here for unity and togetherness <laughs> and for respect," and the Fox. Uh, uh, like pre-game, post-opening ceremonies show was very much the same of what a wonderful, inclusive start to this tournament mm. said through gritted teeth and awkward tones because I'm not quite sure how much of that was truly meant. So this is an interesting aspect of the ceremony and indeed of the coverage so far we've had in the United States. When we all sat down this morning to start watching the opening ceremony, we saw the um, the Fox studio on the mm-hmm. corniche there in, in, in Doha and it looked very impressive. And then they started speaking. Um, we had, That's impressive at that point? I mean, maybe you'd expect a bit of context around mm. the tournament as you lead into these things. Maybe a journalist, a local journalist, to tell you about the, the, the climate in Qatar. Not the weather climate, but the, the climate before the tournament. Lead you in a little bit. We had a guy called Mr. Q, mm-hmm. who had his own tourism website he was promoting. Uh, we had lots of sponsorship from Qatar Airways. Like in the ad breaks, we had we mm-hmm. had tourism advertisements. When the um, analysts in the studio came out of the opening ceremony, we had Alexi Lalas and Anya Luko 
praising the manner in which the sport brings us together. Mm-hmm. And it felt like there was a big elephant in the room there, did it not? It did. It, and it, that was, to me, very interesting because, and I would love for you and Graham to talk about that a little bit, but I think for Joe and I, that's kind of standard. That's kind of par for the yep. course. That's that's the coverage you get when it comes to the World Cup. You get generic praising of the host, generic praising of the competition, enthusiasm that the competition is about to begin. You could kind of insert the specific tournament and host nation, and that's pretty much the way it plays out. So it was really interesting to hear you all be sort of flabbergasted by the way they approach this one. Well, and, and to add quickly before Ryan and Graham go... There's a good article on The Athletic right now with an interview that was done with David Neal, who's a Fox Sports executive, basically on the broadcast side. And he he said, plain and simple, it's consistent. The coverage of this tournament will be consistent with what they've done since 2015. So think about that. That World Cup and the World Cup since then. He said, we've kept our focus on the field of play, on the action. And then later in the quote, he says, it's an editorial decision. So this is something that is purposely done by Fox because they believe that their viewers want it to be that way. Whether or not that's true in the U.S., I don't know. But yeah, this this isn't coming out of left field, but still sort of jarring to watch. I think the most surprising thing for me is just a lack of filter. That was the word that I kept coming coming back to. So when we're watching the opening ceremony before the ceremony starts, they have this VT that um, mm-hmm. you know is meant to display everything that Qatar's bringing to the World Cup. I'm used to BBC coverage of these events. They wouldn't show that on the on the BBC, and obviously I'm here watching Fox's coverage. But from everyone back home on on the on the timeline. They were basically saying that BBC were only dipping in out of the opening ceremony anyway, and Gary Lineker was providing wider context on the human rights violations that have happened with Qatar. That that's kind of maybe maybe that's actually the exception. I'd be interested to see kind of outside of the US and the UK what other broadcasters do because maybe the BBC because it's a little bit unique and they are kind of a state broadcaster mm-hmm. in a sense maybe they're the exception but yeah it was it was a little bit alien to me i, I wasn't mm. totally used to that i can understand fox's decision if it was an editorial decision as you said there joe but it just feels a bit remiss yeah not to mention the context around this tournament the context with migrant workers the context with the stance on lbgt lbgtq plus uh, people the human rights record it feels like they were glossing over well, they, were, they weren't addressing this giant elephant in the room, essentially, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. And I think even if it were an editorial decision, it's still a very convenient editorial decision. Like, you all could have criticized Russia as a host nation. You could have criticized the infrastructure problems in Brazil. Ditto for South Africa. So to then say, well, we haven't done that in the past, so it's not right to do it now. I feel like that's a very easy way to get out of talking about a very difficult thing to talk about. But it should have been talked about because it's part of the tournament and to not do so feels more like propaganda than anything mm. I've, I've sort of seen before. Yeah, yeah I, I just think propaganda is a good word to use. I, just, I would just question the integrity of the whole exercise. Yeah, basically. which I, and, and like I, I've enjoyed my time with Alexi. I've never met any Aluko, but she seems like a very thoughtful person in the way I've seen her engage online and in some of the stuff she's written. So I also imagine it wasn't the most fun for them. And, and again, I say you could, I think, see some of the awkwardness in... I want to be enthusiastic about the start of this tournament. It's an amazing thing. The World Cup is great. But at the same time, I know where I am. And and to hear them talk about how it's so inclusive, everyone is welcome. And it's like, well, it's decidedly not inclusive, and a lot of people aren't welcome. So, I don't know. It, it, laid, it laid an awkward ground, and that wasn't just because Morgan Freeman failed to cover his own lip sync. <laughs> 
Well, it will be interesting to see if there is any reaction to the reaction to the Fox uh, broadcast as we go through this tournament. But for now, yeah, I doubt it either. For now, why don't we move on to the opening game of the tournament? Qatar, nil. The host, nil. Ecuador, two. Enna Valencia with the opening penalty after some VAR controversy, then getting a header to make it a brace for Enna Valencia to be leading the Golden Boot race. Who'd have thunk it, Graham? Not me. Not me. <laughs> Not much competition for that race at the moment, it must be said. Very, very true. Very true. Now, Joe, Joe, let's be real for a second. If Qatar and Ecuador are playing on a Sunday morning and it's not got the World Cup banner on it, are you waking up to watch it? No, not a chance. If there are other games on TV, it's, it's probably not happening, and depending on what time it is. This was a very reasonable wake-up time, I think, for a lot of folks, even on the West Coast. For us on the East Coast, it was, it was easy-peasy. But yeah, this, this was not a good game. I had... You know, I have no love for Qatar or the, the soccer team. I had higher expectations mm-hmm. for the team that we saw play today. In Qatar, I, I'd seen them play much better soccer than they did today. They were dreadful. Ecuador were good enough. This game, though, was not particularly exciting. Opta tweeted this out. They said this opener had the joint fewest shots overall. It was 11 shots total than any in recorded FIFA World Cup history. So that does date back wow. only to 1966. That's a decent number of World Cups from 66 to 2022. There was not a lot of action in this game. We all kind of sat around after and and chatted for a bit. The second half didn't feel like it had much at stake, and the crowd was slow to get back into the stadium. It was a weird game, but again, other than Qatar sort of laying an egg here, I don't know that the flow of the game, given the two teams playing, was really all that surprising. Yeah, I mean, it was done by halftime, yeah. essentially, wasn't wasn't it? And Ecuador were all over Qatar in the first half, and it really took, I thought, about 30 minutes for Qatar to settle down at all. Yep. And we said this, or I said this when we're watching this game, I, I've seen this sort of performance before. It reminded me of watching Scotland at the Euros uh, in their first game last summer, where you have all this pent-up excitement and nervous energy and they just have no composure and you're flying into tackles um and taylor you said this while we're watching it it it, it was clear that qatar had been told to match up physically to ecuador but there was no there was no purpose to it there was no outcome to it it was just crashing into players for the sake of crashing into them i mean sometimes you got to do that but but i think like joe made this point in the preview that they're it's a very domestic team right they've been training together playing together playing friendlies together and it felt to me, as you said, like there was an instruction of, hey, but you all are used to each other. We're going to be going up against Ecuador, who can be physical, can be very uh, in your face at times. And you can't back down from that. If you, if you back down, you lose that contest. And to some extent, it felt like they were so overly focused on that that they maybe lost sight of the tactics and marking and not conceding penalties and goalkeepers staying on their line. It felt like some of the basics that I'm sure they've been working on fell by the wayside because of probably the emotionality of the moment combined with the intensity of that approach. Mm. Joe, as Taylor mentioned there, you previewed this team for Total Soccer Show. This team were the Asian champions who were not terrible when they were in the last Gold Cup yeah. as well. So in that context, how disappointing were they? I think they were incredibly disappointing. Like a lot of our conversation as we were watching this game together kept coming back to Ecuador, right? And thinking, man, this this Ecuador team is something, mm-hmm. right? They're a sleeper team. And I'm not disagreeing with any of that. Joe, Joe was the voice of reason. I was sort of the, the, sort of the wet blanket here. Because as Graham says, like, I mean, Qatar were so bad, like genuinely so bad gifting Ecuador chances, gifting Ecuador goals, gifting them moments to go out there and, and impose their own will on this game. Qatar played just genuinely a, a dreadful game of soccer that started a lot with Saad El Shib, who's the goalkeeper, who was doing everything but playing like a good goalkeeper at the beginning of this game. I, I think you can go through the lineup player by player and pretty much pick out a, a negative aspect of how each one of these players played. I, I thought they were really disappointing in this game. Ecuador, I thought, did a lot of good things. I thought they showed some some nice things in this game, but 
I'm just hesitant to draw much from this match. If if I were to be an Ecuador fan, I'd be hesitant because Qatar just didn't pose any threat whatsoever in this game. So do you think we didn't learn much about Ecuador in that sense? No, I don't think so. We learned that they can go out there and, and throttle a team like Qatar, but with how they played today, I don't think that tells us anything. I think I agree, I agree with you for the most part. I think some of the approach in terms of their shape I think we can learn from especially yes, the way they sat not quite a mid block like a little bit deeper than a mid block but not quite fully in like a defensive block but I think there were I think in the opening minutes they were more inclined to press and make Qatar uncomfortable but as the game goes on I think they sit off a little bit more and basically say find your way through and Qatar could not so no. in that way I think w- what we see from Ecuador is that they can go at you in the early stages and then they can comfortably sit off and invite that pressure on yeah. and then look to counter I don't think Qatar did a good job of playing through that at all. I don't think Qatar did a good job of preventing those counters or preventing any possession. So in that way, it's tough to know how effective that can be. But on the basis of today, Qatar, or Ecuador looks pretty effective. Qatar, the opposite. I think we learned something about the relationships within that Ecuador yeah. team. So very much like that, that central midfield of Caicedo, who we all knew was going to be a key player for this Ecuador team. And then Mendes alongside him, not a player that I had highlighted in my preview. I was the one that previewed Ecuador, but thought he was very good at breaking up. Yeah. I mean, Qatar Qatar didn't really have many opportunities to play through uh, Ecuador, but any time that they did, Mendes was the, the one kind of uh, stopping them from getting any, any further. So I like that relationship. I like the Estrada-Valencia relationship. I do worry if they're ruthless enough if against the higher caliber teams, teams, whether they're going to take their opportunities. But I like the physicality that they brought. They were making it to the byline. Qatar had this strange paradox of they were sitting deep, but also there was space in behind for players to get to the byline. I thought Ecuador, <laughs> particularly in the first half, did a good job of exposing that. Estepanan on the left side was very good. And then Angelo Preciado, a, a player that I um, admittedly hadn't really looked much into on the right side. I thought he was, he, was, he was very good in this game, playing it right back. Did a good job of getting forward. His crossing was very good. There were some well-timed tackles in there as well. So I did, I take everything that, that Joe's saying Ecuador will face much better teams than Qatar at this World Cup but I do still think you can learn some things about their shape and also the relationships in that team yeah that point about them sitting deep but also having space behind them that is interesting isn't it (laughs) do you feel like the back line just wasn't switched on enough is that what it was potentially yeah I mean it didn't feel like there was any awareness when the ball we saw this in the first 20 minutes with the the disallowed goal I don't know if we're going to talk about the the (laughs) disallowed goal but Players not just having awareness of the situation, but of other players around them. There's yeah. just no no intelligence. I think, and I think part of that, like uh, the, the line having space behind it, but also not being particularly high up, also is a lack of sort of consistent pressure across the team. I, I don't think Qatar functioned very well as a team in terms of how they defended, how they tried to press, how they tried to win the ball back. So if you have one individual go and press Graham, and Graham lays it off to Ryan, and Ryan now has no one on them, Ryan can ping that ball in behind, and there's just no pressure. There's all the time to pick out those spots, and I think. For a team that I expected to be very unified in their approach, I think Qatar were pretty disparate. In that I mean, approach. this is a team that spent eight months right? in a training camp right? together. <laughs> Maybe they're too unified. Maybe they've gone the other way. They've they've kind of fractured from there. If they've anything, got their they're too unified. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Another eight months in the camp. <laughs> yes, <laughs> get it back in there. Uh, let's talk about that VAR decision that came early on. Then we've got robot VAR at this tournament. By the way, twelve roof level limb tracking cameras plus an in ball sensor. Um, it's a, it's supposed to reduce the uh, average wait time from 70 seconds for a VR, VAR decision down to 25 seconds. Joe, I didn't have the stopwatch out, but it felt a little longer than 25 seconds for this one. And it was a decision that was made uh, on, on that goal, or lack thereof, that 
confused most of Twitter, certainly. Yeah, and we were all confused as well. I think Graham messaged in the Discord, yeah. like, what what happened? I was confused. I, I mean, it was not clear at all on the broadcast. But that what replay where on. you got someone's kneecap offside, that totally oh, clarified yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We could so, all understand. So I'm going to try to explain it, at least as far as I understand it. So it's the third minute, Qatar foul Ecuador uh, in the attacking half. It's a set piece for Ecuador. Estupinian has the, the set piece. He takes the, the, the free kick. He plays the ball into the box, and, and Felix Torres, who's a center back for Ecuador, and Qatar's goalkeeper have a little clash. So in that moment, a new sequence is started, basically. So in that moment as well, Michael Estrada, who is the key player here, that's the player you saw on the AI clip that floated on Twitter or that's on the broadcast, he's offside by a hair. Now in that moment, right before Estrada really comes into play, there's a question of who touches the ball, whether it's Torres or whether it's the goalkeeper for Qatar, for, for Qatar excuse me. If Torres touches it and makes contact, that matters, right? It matters where Estrada is positioned, and that's ultimately what VAR decided, is that Torres had made contact with the ball, and therefore when the ball comes to Estrada, he's the next player to touch it, the play is ruled dead, and it's ruled retroactively, but the play is ultimately ruled dead. If the goalkeeper makes contact, then it doesn't matter, and and whether he's onside or offside doesn't make any difference because it was an opposing player who touches the ball. The, the VAR, it seems like, just took for granted that Torres was the player to touch it and not the goalkeeper for guitar. And, and ultimately ruled that then Estrada making the next action, the play should have been ruled dead. Now, I don't see how not only the VAR offside decision is clear and obvious, but even setting that aside with the new technology and the, the limb tracking, which sounds very Qatar. I know it's not just a Qatar thing, but man, that does sound Qatar. It does. Uh, but, but even who, which player made an actual play on the ball, whether it was Torres who made contact or Qatar's goalkeeper, I never saw an angle that was clear and obvious mm-hmm. that should have overturned that call. Now, again... It doesn't matter, right? Ecuador won this game. Yep. They would have gone 1-0 up there in the third minute. They did for a second or, or maybe two minutes or so, certainly more than 25 seconds, Ryan. But then it gets ruled off, and then you know, we go and, and Ecuador score two more. So it doesn't make any difference, but not exactly the most entertaining or encouraging start to a World Cup mm-hmm. in terms of the quality of the referee. It doesn't matter. You're right. At the same time, it sort of does in the grand scheme of things. If we get another call like this or another call that seems to be a robot making a decision of, oh, no, that body part was offside. And I think where I get confused is that I don't know how much weight was given to, was it the keeper or was it the, right, the, that's the uh, keeper Ecuadorian player? And if it's just like, no, there was someone technically offside, you're kind of missing the point of that decision. You're missing the point of the lead-up and everything that's involved there. So I, you're right, Ecuador still win. But if we get more of those decisions, it calls into question more what's being done and how automatic yeah. the system is. My, my frustration really came from the, the vacuum of information. Yep. So I don't know whether we, yeah. were, we were getting angles withheld from us. I mean, it took five minutes after the incident mm-hmm. for that AI graphic to be shown on the broadcast. Yeah. You compare that... Again, as I say, I don't know if things are being withheld from us from the Fox broadcast, but you compare that to a Premier League game when they make a VR decision. You've got, you know, it seems like about 20 different angles for an incident. It didn't seem like we had that for, for a World Cup game. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, this offside decision. It could either be A or it could be depending on which player touched the ball. There's no angle that we've seen anyway that is conclusive on that. And that feels unacceptable for a no, World Cup game. They only have the one camera, Graham. That's it. You didn't know that about this World Cup? It's only the one camera from far away that doesn't allow you any clarity. <laughs> it's a succession camera they used uh, yeah. for, for, to film for the opening ceremony. Um, but actually, of those 12 cameras, which are apparently at roof level tracking VAR and the in-ball sensor, apparently, according to FIFA, when that data comes through, uh, the robot draws lines for the VAR, VAR checks them, tells the referee, and then sends a 3D model to broadcaster. So that process sounds like it taking seconds, but evidently did mm. not take seconds for us to get the lovely 3D model of the uh, of the leg being slightly offside there. So 
Did we learn? Did, is this better? This VAR? I'm going to say <laughs> the jury's out at the moment. But hey, I would say the jury's out. I also, while we're on the subject of officiating, did anyone else feel like the uh, the center ref in this one was just like in a bad mood? Like he seemed very. <laughs> Uh, prickly. He seemed very like not inclined to take any sort of conversation, was, any sort of dissent. He was unhappy at Morgan Freeman's lip syncing. I, I yeah. mean, that's the only should have been better, Morgan. The only conclusion we can draw. I think, I think. it was he didn't want to be wearing a deep V. He had to wear a deep V today, and uh, <laughs> that's it. He's more of a roll neck guy. I there think is what we can get from that. Um, mm. Graham, last one on this one with Ecuador, the team you mentioned, you previewed. Mm. Are you bullish about them getting through Group A into the knockout stages? They've got the Netherlands coming up on Friday. And then they've got Senegal next week. Yeah, very much fancy their chances of getting out. The group, I think, couple this performance with the fact that Senegal, who are obviously, the, you would say, the rival team alongside Ecuador to get out of this group, no longer have Sadio Mane, their best player in Senegal. Very well-coached team, very well, uh, very disciplined team, but Mane is their difference maker, and I just worry how they're going to score goals without him. So, yes, very bullish on Ecuador's uh, chances of getting out of this group. I, I, I like them as a team, and I would like to see them make a run. I don't know what a run looks like for them. Maybe it's just as far as the last 16, but I would still like to see them that far. Well, the winner of this group, or the winners and runners-up, Taylor, mm-hmm. will meet with the Group, group B winners yep. and runners-up, which is, of course, uh, the USA's group, with England too. Um, how do you feel about that, maybe Ecuador coming out and facing, say, the US? Nervous? I mean, I think I, I was more nervous before we started recording, Joe, making the point that we don't know how good Qatar are, so we can't then know for sure how good Ecuador are. I think we, are. Know, we now know that Qatar are bad. Yes. That, I do right. feel comfortable saying that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's like, was that a terrible Qatar performance or a very good Ecuador performance or both? The, the Qatar uh, thing. And it's I think the it's the Qatar thing. thing. So, but, but I will say, like, the US has played Ecuador before and had problems with them, both in, I think, Centenario and in friendlies. And that looks like a strong Ecuador team to me it seems like they have plenty of talent whereas historically i don't think this is just like my ignorance but i feel like oftentimes it was antonio valencia it was enter valencia it was very specific individuals doing very specific things that would get them through this team seems to have a lot of talent and depth uh in the starting 11 but also with the substitutions coming on and i do think could be a really tri- uh, tricky team even if it's even if they finish second and go up against england it feels like a team that can sit deep, invite England onto them, frustrate England, either with physicality, with some gamesmanship, and then hit on the break. I think there are reasons to be concerned about this Ecuador team if you're England or the United States. Huh. Yeah. Compelling Ryan disagrees. <laughs> no, I do, I do agree. No, I'm slightly more terrified. Let's, uh, well, tomorrow's games, as we recall, Monday's games, we've got at 8 Eastern, England versus Iran. We've got uh, the other game in Group A, 11, Senegal versus Netherlands. 2 p.m. Eastern. On Monday, for the first time in eight years, the USMNT back in World Cup action. Oh we win the whole thing. Woo! World yeah. champions, here we go. According to um, Landon Donovan's bracket, by the way, on Fox Soccer, I don't know if you saw on social, yeah. is it he had he had the US getting to the final? I think it was the final, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't talk about that with us, that's he for did. sure, Ryan. He did, he did. He? he said he, he said did. US in the final? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. I was not, <laughs> I was not listening yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's quite a thing. It but is. Uh, for us, we're going to round off this show with some very specific <laughs> predictions for tomorrow's games. This is something we're going to be going to do at least through the group stage. So, Graham, I would like a very specific prediction for England versus Iran tomorrow morning. Careful. <laughs> my two favourite countries. <laughs> uh, my VSP for England-Iran is we're going to get at least one TV shot of an England fan in the stands, St. George's flag painted on their face. Maybe they have their shirt off and they've got a Gascoigne tattoo and a rotund appearance and they're going to look glum because England haven't scored and aren't playing very well. I do think England will get the three points here eventually, 
but I think they'll they'll have to work for it. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's just a one 0 with a late winner. So basically, that VSP is related to how I think the match will go, and I think it'll be quite cagey, and England will struggle to break through Iran. You took us on a journey there. Yeah, man. I loved that. I, I felt like I was in the moment next to that guy. <laughs> I, I loved it. Really painted the picture. The I narrative did. was there. Now all I want to know is how much the uh, England fan was paid to be in the stadium. <laughs> uh, we shall find out. I guess the daily <laughs> allowance has been cut, by the way, from yeah. Qatar for the last. I've of heard. People, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no bud zero for that guy. Nope. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with your sentiment. I go as far to say maybe it'll be a nil-nil that game, but we shall see. I hope it isn't. Sounds good. No, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, who wants to go next? Uh, Netherlands versus Senegal. Joe Lowry, a VSP for that one, please. Okay, so we talked about how Senegal are without Sadio Mane. I, I do think this game could be a big one for Ismail Assar, who I expect to start and, and play an even bigger role for Senegal. Now, that's not my VSP, though. I, I have a VSP for the Netherlands. I think they're going to control a lot of this game. I think they have the, the on-ball quality under Louis van Gaal to be doing that kind of thing. So with that in mind, I have Urien Timber, who's a center-back plays for Ajax and the Dutch national team. I think he's going to have at least three successful dribbles in this game because mm. I think the Dutch are going to control the ball. He's likely going to be one of the outside center-backs in the back three. I think he's going to try to push the ball forward. Now, the one wrinkle to this could be Senegal's attacking line and how they sort of shift and move to defend these things, but... I think Timber's really good on the ball, and I think he could help destabilize Senegal. I think he's going to have a lot of touches and a lot of chances to dribble forward. Mm, very specific indeed. I like it, Joe Lowry. Thank you very much. Last but not least, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, tomorrow at 2 Eastern, as we mentioned, USA versus Wales. And by the way, I think if you tune into the Bleacher Report app before and after that game, yes, sir. there's going to be four pretty cool guys talking about that game, right? Or three in you. Uh, but <laughs> <Hey>. yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that when we're in person, I can see me hurt Ryan Bailey's feelings, and it's less fun to do that. Uh, yes, we're going to be on the BR app uh, before and after that game. We're going to be in the studio together, uh, which is also very exciting. Uh, to be in a studio in New York feels like uh, a good aspiration for us to have achieved, so good stuff us. Uh, but yeah, please come join us. Please come uh, hang out with us for that one, and hopefully for a happy post-match. Uh, with that in mind, I've got Anthony Robinson with a goal or assist. Ooh. That would be my specific prediction for that one. Okay, I think a lot of attention gets paid to Yunus Musa missing in those recent friendlies and how important he is to that team but we've seen Anthony Robinson be, be very important to the attack including scoring goals himself but also providing assists and creating opportunities and I think he will be heavily involved in the attack I think both fullbacks will be pretty far forward and I think he either gets an assist or he gets like a tap in at the back post or arrives late and puts one home uh, for the United States and he looks good in a pair of Calvin Kleins I don't know if you've seen that. that campaign I have not but I just agree with you because that's probably true yeah, it's pretty much how I look at Mark Calvin Clay. I mean, he, you know, he's a, he's a fit fellow with the, the muscles and whatnot. I could see him filling out some Calvins. Uh, while we're on the subject of successful things, as Ryan squints into the distance, uh, we should note that I believe Joe is the only one to get a specific prediction point so far. Is that right, Joe? Well, okay, so from this game, my, my VSP for Qatar in this tournament was that Afif would have there two nutmegs. And I put this in the Discord. Nobody really agreed with me there, but I timestamped it and everything so people can go back and check me. 48.03 in the second half. If he touches the ball through an opponent's legs, I regret bringing he doesn't this up. Go, he doesn't go and retrieve it on the other side. But I believe the rules of nutmeg that were established at some point the in the past of nutmeg. means that if you take an intentional touch and a teammate gets it on the other side of a player, it counts, right? If we're playing pickup yeah. and I touch it through Graham's legs, which would never happen because I'm terrible, and Ryan's on my team and he gets it on the other side, that counts as a nutmeg, right? So I would say I'm halfway 
towards my first VSP. We're, Thank we're, you. I'm done. We're using the Discord as like the arbiters of uh, yeah. of fact, and everyone has to be in agreement, like mm. the blockchain. The, and, uh, yeah. the Discord's it, reaction yeah. was exactly how all three of you guys <laughs> <just> reacted <laughs> to yeah. my rant. Just blank stares. Okay, Joe. That's... And if you'd like to join our Discord, remember, ladies and gents, you can do so with the details in the show notes here to join our Patreon service. Uh, One final question from me for you, fine gentlemen: USA versus Wales tomorrow. Are we feeling good about a US win? Bear in mind that Wales have AFC Wimbledon's Chris Gunter likely on their bench. Right. That's the next factor. I don't feel great, to be honest. I was talking about this with, I think, all of you before the, the Qatar-Ecuador game started. I feel like Wales are well set up to play spoiler. I think the US is a better team pound for pound. But uh, I'm, I'm concerned. I'd be yeah. concerned no matter who they were playing, though, to be fair. I, I think a point is, is good. Mm. I would much prefer uh, all three points, but I think hot take. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's just <laughs> all right. I, I think like it's why uh, why though? Well, because Ryan, when you don't win, you get zero points, oh. and then when you do get the draw, you get the one point. And the, I'm going to stop here. But what I will say is basically that I think with the United States at every World Cup, reason sort of goes out the window for me in the very first game, at least. And I fully am like, oh no, they're going to win three 0 It's going to be great. Uh, but but I think. Putting that expectation on that team where we don't know who the number nine will be. We're not sure who the, uh, the front three will be. We're not even sure who the midfield will be. I think it's, it's maybe unfair to expect a complete performance from the jump, and especially mm-hmm. against a Welsh team that will frustrate, will sit deep. And I think not getting caught on the counter, to me, is also a victory. It means that you've executed your game plan. So even if they don't score, I think it's an important way to start by getting that one point. But I'm hopeful for a W. Don't want that L. See, that that reasoning is, is what makes me think it probably will be a draw, is that both teams are probably yeah. quite happy to yeah. start with a, with a point in their first game. I actually think if, if, if everything was on the line and you had two teams going for it, I would actually be quite confident the US wins this mm-hmm. one. But it does feel like both teams starting with a point might be on the cards. Let's open up. 3-1 USA. I'm just going to keep predicting 3-1 over and over again. Yeah, can't fail you at this point, Tater. Thank you very much, gents, for joining us. Uh... Thank you very much, gents. Ladies and gents, I should say. Listeners, dear listeners, thank you for joining us on our intrepid World Cup journey. We're going to be here for the whole gosh darn tournament, bringing you all the news and analysis. You said uh, that with zero joy in your eyes. (laughs) We're going to be here for the whole gosh darn tournament. just picturing Morgan Freeman. That's That's it. The joy's in my heart, Taylor, not in my eyes. My mistake. Okay. Uh, Taylor Rocco, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Joe Lowry, pleasure, sir. Right back at you. And Graham Rutherford, it's been about 30 minutes since your last bowl of Lucky Charms. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll let you get back to it. Yeah, I've got an alarm set. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Listener, thank you again. We'll be back after Monday's games. But for now, bye. <laughs> <laughs>